Thank you, Dan. May I begin by saying that serving this church as minister of visitation is a true honor. And the other staff members here compose an inspiring team. And even more, the pastoral care which this entire congregation provides itself truly moves me. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all your care. Psalm 77, one of those readings in the lectionary for today, is also read in other Christian churches around this nation. Christian churches, both Protestant and Catholic. Some of us here at Montview have already begun a relationship with Psalm 77, even though most of us had never even read it before. During this year's Lenten study, we read Dr. Walter Brueggemann's book, Virus, A Summons to Faith. This psalm is an important centerpiece in Dr. Brueggemann's message. Dan Westner and I were honored to lead this group of wise people, our fellow learners. Thank you again, Dan. Let us pray. Loving God, hear our prayers of gratitude for the way your spirit enriches our lives. We pray that you will draw us closer and closer to you. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The psalmist was in a bad way. It had been a tough stretch for her. Authorities do suspect that the poet was male, but this poetic wisdom just might have come from the pen of a woman. Yes, it had been a bad stretch for her. Perhaps, to use Dr. Brueggemann's synthesis, the problem had been famine or pestilence or sword. A likely historical context for that large-scale tragedy is the captivity in Babylon 26 centuries ago. God's people were captured and forced to walk more than 700 miles, to walk more than 700 miles from Judah to Babylon. Their challenge, of course, was more than just the enormous distance. Judah and Jerusalem, its capital, had been not just their home. They understood it as God's everlasting home. Life away from there was a life away from God. Now the Babylonians did worship, but they worshiped a whole pantheon of gods. The Hebrew people knew that those gods were false. But at least Babylon did offer places for a psalmist to write. And we can imagine that she found a quill and a blank scroll. As she wrote, she began with words of moaning, of groaning. 
Perhaps, though, her groans were not only about what was going on in the life of her community. Maybe she was also experiencing personal grief. We know that here, don't we? We know community grief, national grief, and personal grief. For us, her psalm's wisdom guides us as a community, but it also speaks to us as individual souls. She knew, and we know, that human life is an experience of both grief and joy, of groaning and hope. It is also possible that she wrote not at the beginning of the exile, but three generations later when her newly liberated people were returning home to Jerusalem. The old city, their historical home, was in desperate ruins. And the task of rebuilding was paralyzing. Her walks around the ruined temple and the city brought her face to face with misery. No one needed small stickers like the ones we see around here these days in this church building. Our little signs say, this area isn't finished yet. It is, of course, presumptuous for us to equate our building's work with the back-breaking rebuilding efforts of two and a half millennia ago. And our pandemic, as awful as it has been for our world's people, at least offers us a pathway out of the misery. Our Presbytery moderator, Reverend... Our Presbytery moderator, Reverend Paula Steinbacher, makes this observation. Our ancestors long ago were exiled from their homes. This pandemic has exiled us to our homes. No comparison. Still, as we ardently desire that this era will soon be over, our hopes for an end to these challenges keep meeting up with those annoying signs that say, this area isn't finished yet. Many of us nowadays, when we've moved into new homes, have compiled lists of projects, expecting that one day we will achieve that blissful state known as the completely finished house. <laughs> After a bit of time, we come to realize that the completed tasks on the top of the list need to be redone before we even get through the items halfway farther down the list. We all just might want to take today's church bulletin home and tack the, this area isn't finished yet, sign up somewhere. Okay, go ahead. Take more bulletins. Please though, no more than 20 bulletins per household. Our psalmist was certainly not pondering anything as simple as her house's peeling paint. She was writing about her soul's work, her not yet finished life as one of God's children. 
and her groans were also about the miseries of her community. Many of us have had experiences like hers. Some of these revelations are unexpected and sudden, like being in a dark sky place with an astonishing view of uncountable stars at night, or like holding a new son or daughter or grandchild for the very first time. In a moment, our lives change. Other epiphanies are gradual realizations of new truth with views that some previously hidden area of our soul or the world's soul isn't finished yet. Here are a couple of personal stories. They're short, and you might chuckle at least at the first one. Barbara and I have been remodeling our yard, and a little backhoe called a bobcat, I think, was moving dirt around. It was a fascinating scene, and I enjoyed watching it through a window. Too bad, I thought, that our grandkids are either too old or way too young to enjoy seeing this machine in action. And worse yet, there aren't even any neighbor kids of the right age to enjoy it. This nose of mine pressed against the window and it started to hurt a little bit. Oh, came the epiphany. Oh, there is that one little four and a half year old boy who's enjoying this and I think I know him. Hmm. It was a fun little epiphany. Here's another story. A gentleman on a street corner was holding a cardboard sign and he had a stumbling gait. I know what substance he is abusing, came the thought. A second look at him, though, revealed the real truth. It was so clear that this gentleman had a chronic muscular condition, probably present since birth. Hmm. Here was some yet to be learned basic lesson from Psychology 101 or from Psalm 77. To use language of faith, I'd thought that the story was about him, but I was the main character in the real story. Hmm. The psalmist knew about things like this, and she was bold enough to embrace that verse 10 epiphany with, the, with its words that helped her recognize that her groaning revealed unfinished areas in her heart. There's yet another epiphany for us in her psalm. It needs our attention, but it is a bit hidden. We might be tempted to divide her work into three parts. Part one, those first nine verses could be dubbed the groaning. Part two is that amazing 10th verse, the Psalm's fulcrum. And then the rest of the Psalm could be seen as the cure from groaning, accompanied by a leap into new hope. There is some truth in that view, but the Psalm takes us deeper. 
Before taking that plunge, though, we need a better understanding of groaning. It is often equated with whining. Groaning is different. It is a mature, faithful statement of reality. Even if we sometimes groan loudly or shake our fists at God in heaven, now, rather than suppressing our grumblings, we live with the faith that God welcomes them. God welcomes our groans. Yes, groaning has an element of therapeutic ventilating, but it is even more important than that. The psalmists groaned to make space in those unfinished areas of their hearts. They knew that they needed room for hope, for joy, for new epiphanies, for God. Our Good Friday tradition here is to read Psalm 22. Jesus quoted it from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus groaned. For him, the dialogue's elements of groaning and hope were not sequential. It was not as if he or we get groaning behind us and then move into hope. Groaning and hope were and are siblings in dialogue with each other. Groaning without hope is a dead end. And hope uncoupled from reality is illusion. These apparent opposites need to be integrated with each other. And we can strive to become fluent in both languages. Yes, bilingual. God's bilingual people. You might have noticed, too, that the psalm doesn't provide answers for the why questions and the groans. The wisdom here is different from that offered by Rabbi Kushner in his book of 40 years ago. In When Bad Things Happen to Good People, he suggested an explanation to misery. Our psalmist does not explain misery. She just articulates it, knowing that God welcomes our groans and can open our hearts. Here is a final reflection. The psalms not only help us learn about our soul's unfinished business, they remind us that God walks with us on this pilgrim journey. The Psalms help us grow. John Calvin described the Psalms as the anatomy of all parts of the soul. Eugene Peterson called them our parents. And David White wrote these words, poetry is the language against which you have no defenses. The power of these poems, these psalms, is even greater when music accompanies them. Now, some among us might say, now, wait a minute, I can't sing. Maybe you say that would enjoy Jackie Summers' story. She would have been 98 this month, and she did live well past 90. 
her pew where Barbara and Jim Todd are sitting. Would you raise your hands, please? Thank you, Barbara and Jim. Her pew is over there, and she sat in that pew nearly every Sunday. I can't sing, Jackie announced. But when the choir processes down the aisle, I start to believe for a minute that maybe I can sing. No, even that's not right, she said. For a couple of minutes, I truly can sing. Here in community with each other, these words are for all of us, and we are all musicians. We know, we know that the poetry in the Psalms was sung, and God's people must have learned the ancient accompanying music when they were little children. The psalm texts have been passed along through the centuries thanks to the hard work of all the scribes. But there was no musical notation system, so the accompanying music is lost. Although we grieve over the loss of that musical art, it has meant that composers through the centuries have been able to add new, penetrating relevance to these psalm texts. One of these great musical legacies for us is the tradition of enslaved African-American theologians who, like our psalmist, without consent, were taken from their homes. They were enslaved in this country. They knew and still know about linking text and song, about life's unfinished business. They were, and they continue to be experts in linking groaning and hope. And their songs are about asking God to walk alongside individuals and nations. Let us pray. Gracious God, we need you to walk with us. Yes, as we walk along this pilgrim journey, we want you, we want Jesus to walk with us. Amen.